Hello, and welcome back to Talking Talmud. I'm one of your hosts, Jordana Osman, here with my friend and Chavruta, Ann Gordon. Our daf today, Masach Pesachim, daf Kuf Bet, page 102. We continue our study of the last paragraph of Masach Pesachim of our Beit Pesachim. And again, today's daf and tomorrow's daf are going to be sort of some of these classic gemaras that have to do with some of what we do in meals in terms of order of benching, Kiddush, Havdalah. Um, but I, before we get to the actual learning today, I again want to remind everybody, please, please, please sign up for our CM, which will, God willing, be March 21st, 11 a.m. Uh, Eastern time, 5 p.m. Israel time. We would love to hear from our co-learners. If anybody would like to share some Torah or some thoughts on Masech Pesachim, uh, please do so when you register for the link. And if you have any questions, always feel free to reach out to me and Anne. Uh, did I leave anything out or should I get straight to the daf, Anne? Straight to it. So I just wanted to do one small piece of the Gemara here that I think explains something that feels counterintuitive, but really makes a lot of sense. The Gemara is in the middle of a discussion of trying to understand Rabbi Yochanan's opinion um, that was quoted in a Bryce, where Rabbi Yochanan says that when we change a place, right, of a su'uda, you don't need to make another bracha, even for foods which normally don't require a bracha achrona um, in their place. In other words, there are certain foods, right, that he, Rabbi Yochanan basically doesn't differentiate between foods which do or do not require a bracha achrona in their place. And what foods are we talking about? We're talking about foods like water, fruit, things like that, right? Do you really need to make a bracha achrona where you actually ate them? And in general, that's because those are sort of foods that you don't establish a meal around them. You kind of eat them on the go or you eat them sort of, I don't know, and maybe you have a better word for this. You sort of eat them on the fly, I guess would be the way to explain it. Yeah, I so think, I think that's exactly explain. what it is, right? We, we do that. Right. People you're, do you're that. eating it on the fly. Right. Right. So the Gemara says the following. So what is the reason, right? That the reason that the Brisa is dealing only with foods, basically, that require a bracha chrona to be recited in a place where they were eaten. And what's the halacha that the Brisa says about those types of foods, right? When you leave, if you leave that place of Suda, right, with the intention of coming back, we're not going to make you make a bracha chrona before you leave. And when you come back, we're not going to make you make a bracha rishon again, right? So let's say I'm having a meal, and, you know, a few of us decide we're going to leave, we're going to go somewhere else, we're having a meal of cake, right? When I leave, right, I don't need to say an alamicha when I leave. And when I come back and I want to start eating cake again, I don't need to say a beret, my name is Onod again, in order to start eating again. But things that do not necessarily require a bracha to be said in the actual place where they were eaten, even according to the rabbis, if you're going to go out and leave that, you need to make a bracha for what it is that you previously ate. And if you come back to that place of the suuda after you took that break and you want to restart eating, you actually need to make a bracha rishon again, right? So if you were eating an apple or something like that, you would need to make a bracha right before to, to conclude that eating of that first or half of an apple or whatever it is, right, of a bore nefashot. And then when you come back, you would need to make a bore priya eights again. And then the Gemara says, Lema de Rabbi Yochanan. So they're going to say that this brisa that was quoted is actually a refutation of Rabbi Yochanan. 
I'm not interested in the piece about Rabbi Yochanan, but I think what's interesting here is this is a little counterintuitive, right? We would have thought, you know, that if we were eating something that we're so careful about that the bracha chrona needs to be said in the place where you actually eat it, that when you disrupt your meal, you know, or you know you're disrupting your meal, you should have to like sort of wrap it up and say that bracha chrona at that time. And when you come back to restart eating, you should need to make the bracha rishona. But actually, they're teaching us something differently. And it's telling us something that there's, it's not about where you're eating, but it's more about the nature of the food that you're eating. And I think that's really what's significant here. And what they're trying to say is, is that things like, you know, things that sort of require the blessing to be said in the place that they're eaten, those are foods that have something that's more established about them, right? They're really, when you eat them, you're really eating it to celebrate food, to eat, to feel satisfied, you know, for, for that particular type, you know, to fulfill all of those things. But when you're eating the foods where you don't need to say the bracha chrona in the place where they're normally eaten, right, like a piece of fruit, like a drink of water, those are foods that it's sort of like you're just eating it. I don't know, you needed a quick snack, you were thirsty, you needed a quick cup of water. And therefore, if you interrupt that, there's no, it's not, it signifies sort of the end of that act of eating, because those are not foods that you normally come back to, or you don't sort of stretch out their eating over a long period of time. So when I first read this DAP, I sort of had to reread it a few times, because it felt very counterintuitive. Um, But then I realized that that's exactly the point. What the distinction that they're making here is, it's not about the place, or the intention around the place, are you coming back to the place? Are you not coming back to the place? It's about what the food is and what does that food signify? What is the importance of that type of food? And that's really what the distinction is being made over. So, you know, we spent so much time talking about how how things were different back then as compared to now. And I feel like I, I feel like this is one area that we never really raised that question. But I wonder if if maybe we should, right? The the way people eat today. And I'm speaking very, you know, really, truly contemporarily, right, where there are people who, you know, eat, I don't know, they never eat, sit down to a big meal, they only eat little, you know, portions over the course of the whole day. And some people are doing intermittent fasting and different people will, you know, you don't eat gluten, but you're like, you never make kamotzi, right? I mean, there's all different kinds, I, I know that you can make kamotzi on non-gluten flowers, I, I get that, right? But I mean, there's, there's so many different dietary concerns or considerations nowadays i wonder if this entire scope of what's considered you know snack food as compared to sitting down to a meal i wonder if that would be different if we were you know starting fresh i'm not recommending that we do start fresh i'm just you know i'm just hypothesizing that maybe the the basis for our definitions would be different nowadays i i think that's actually an excellent question because our relationship to food is really different and exactly like you said there are people who are never going to eat a mizonos in their entire life right, right? there are people who only eat raw they only eat plant-based and so some of these halachos are sort of the importance of their food if you're only eating plant-based right does that feel different than sort of what is the significance of your food? Because in other words, your main course is the fruit is going to be made up of something exactly. right? could be a fruit. Exactly. I think that's an excellent question, but now I'm going to let you get to uh, Amadbet. <laughs> so there's a, it's a, it's a, Amadbet takes a new topic really, even though we're still talking about brachot and, you know, so on. Basically, uh, this kind of begins at the bottom of Amadal of Tarabanan, Beneath of Russia, Yumisubin, Vakadishalian, Hayom, Mivino, Koshal Yain, 
ואומר עליו קידושת היום, ושני אומר עליו ברכת המזון. So what happens? The, there's a crew, there's a group of people who are, you know, hanging out and they're having a meal, and it's Shabbos, and they say Kiddush, and on that same cup that, uh, that they say Kiddush over the cup, that same cup of wine, then there's another cup over which, there's a second cup over which somebody else will recite Birkat HaMazon, which I'll explain in a moment. And then, that's Rabbi Yehuda's position. We saw this all, this, the difference of approach between Rabbi Yehuda and Rabbi Yehuda already yesterday, the idea of can you, when do you continue and when do you have to like start fresh uh, in terms of, in terms of how, what you consider the meal. So this question of Birkat HaMazon, benching, saying Birkat HaMazon over a cup of wine is traditionally done to give kavod to the bracha itself, right? The idea that you can, obviously, you can bench, you, you say Birkat HaMazon regardless of whether you're going to make the bracha, um, whether you're going to do it over a cup of wine, so to speak. And I think that I've actually only ever really seen people benching over close with a minion, but I don't think that's a requirement. I think it's just a matter of how when, when does one come to actually put this into practice? But the issue here is how many cups do you need, right? Because in the, this statement at the very bottom of Amud Aleph has a case of one cup for the Kiddush and one cup for Birkat HaMazon. Uh, so then, So Rabbi Yossi basically is saying that when they've got these two cups, right? So the first one that they say Birkat HaMazon, According to Rabbi Yossi, you would have a second cup that you say which to me sounds like Kiddush, right? Which should already have been done earlier. So I'm a little bit, it's a little bit of a roundabout discussion here, right? Um, and because again, Rabbi Yossi is the person who says you don't have to interrupt your meal, namely, if you began from Arab Shabbat, let's say, and now you're in the middle of Shabbat. You don't need to stop to make Kiddush because, hello, now you're in Shabbat. You just carry on with your meal. And then at the end of the meal, you would have Birkat HaMazon. And then you would have another cup upon which you would recite Kiddush for Kiddushat HaYom. If this sounds strange, it's because it's not what we do, you know, at all. But it is certainly Rabbi Yossi's opinion here. So what happens? So the Gemara says, why do they need two cups? Meaning, let if you don't need Kiddush at the beginning of the meal and Birkat HaMazon at the end of the meal, why not say both of these topics, so to speak, the Birkat HaMazon topic and the Kiddushat HaYom topic, sanctifying the day, say it over one cup because you're at the same point of the meal. Obviously, if you're taking Rabbi Huda's position and you have to have Kiddush at the beginning of the meal, then you can't do that because, because the timing doesn't work out. But conceptually, why do you need two cups? So now we jump a generation, right? And Rav Huna explains, I'm Rav Huna, I'm Rav Sheshet, that we, he's, Rav Huna says, Rav Sheshet said, that you do not have two Kiddushot, you don't recite two sanctifications on one cup. Which I feel to be, you know, one of these um, metaphysical kind of statements, right? The idea that one, it rings to me like, once you've got one kedusha on that cup, that is the nature of that that sanctification, and you can't sanctify it with something else because it's already been sanctified in the one way. My time, but the Gemara actually asks about this to clarify what is going on here. So the reason that the Gemara gives is not the 
is not the metaphysical sense that I have just described. Rather, in the name of Rav Nachman Bar Yitzchak, we say mitzvot uh, in packages, in bundles, right? You don't do uh, bundle them together all in one go, right? Because then the idea is that that is like a, an embarrassment to the mitzvot. You're trying to rush through them and, and shove them all together rather than cherish each one as it comes. So the idea that each one should be cherished as it comes is, I think, lovely. And I think it's interesting that there's a presumption here that if you would put two sanctifications on one cup, that you're really kind of bundling your kedushos and, and rushing through it. Um, and then, of course, the Gemara says, and this is where, you know, always there's going to be a counter argument in the Gemara, right? Velo, right? Do you, are you sure we don't bundle our mitzvot together? Vahatanya, there's a bright that says, don't we have this case where we a bright there where somebody comes home at the end of Shabbat, and we're going to talk about this more tomorrow, but somebody comes home and says the blessing on the wine and on the light and on the spices, and afterwards says the Havdalah, meaning the to separate between Shabbat and Chol, this is of course the Kind of the antithesis of Kedusha is to say Havdalah, uh, the, uh, the antithesis of Kiddush, rather, to say Havdalah, uh, it's all on one cup, right? Shouldn't those be, it's all in one go. Shouldn't those be separated things? So there we say, well, if you only had one cup from Birkat Amazon, you can actually then use it. Birkat Amazon, let's say, from Sudash Shishit, you can then use that same cup for Havdalah if you didn't have an extra wine. So there we dafka. We really do bundle the things together, these mitzvot together. Why not? You know, what's why isn't this a, an answer to say that of course you can bundle them together? Ain lo shani, because the real difference is that we're talking there about somebody who just truly doesn't have another cup. So then, sure, it'll work. You can, if you don't have enough, you can manage that, but it's not preferable. Well, and I think this is going to segue into what we're going to talk about tomorrow, which is we have these like periods of time, whether it is the ending of this meal and needing to say Kiddush or saying Kiddush with Havdalah, which is going to be tomorrow's topic. And it sort of like presents this sort of halachic, you know, um, time, you know, continuum thing. It's like everything's all together and the, and the halacha like kind of freaks out and isn't quite sure what to do because they don't love the idea of sharing a cup. They're not quite sure what the order of all of this should be. And, you know, it's not just about sort of, you know, checking off, like, did you make the bracha for this? Did you make the bracha for that? But they really want to pay attention to, like, what's the right order? What's the right way? How many cups of wine do you need to do this? Are you supposed to do, in other words, it's two halachic events happening at the same moment. And so how do we sort of separate them out, either physically, like being over two cups of wine, or time-wise, because obviously we can't make simultaneous brachas on benching or kiddush at the same time, or benching and havdalah at the same time. And so I think that's what the these pages are sort of trying to tease out. That's our daft discussion for the day. Thank you for joining us. Rank us, review us where you get your podcast. Come talk to us on our Facebook page and tell us what you think about these brachot and kiddush and havdalah. Well, save havdalah for tomorrow. Thank you to Rebbe Michelle Farber for hosting us on the Hadron website. And until tomorrow, go and learn.